Reckless, we're glad that you are here with us tonight, and uh, we are, not only is it the last week before spring break, but we are tonight finishing up the series we've been in called GOAT, greatest of all time, and we said at the beginning of the series that kind of the focus and the idea is we are very quick to crown the greatest of all time in whatever area, whether it be sports, whether it be music, whether it be other things, we're always looking to to anoint the greatest in whatever. And so this series, we're looking at the greatest of all time in all areas. What makes Jesus who he is? What are those characteristics, those things about Jesus that makes him worthy of everything, that makes him worthy of centering our lives around and every part of who we are? What is it that makes Jesus the greatest of all time? Now, the reason why I think this is such a big deal, and I think the, the reality is, is that we will, however we live, will be patterned after what we believe about Jesus, right? So either we believe Jesus is the greatest of all time, or we believe he's something less than that. Maybe for some of us, we look and we believe that Jesus is irrelevant, or he really has no value to our lives whatsoever. And so if we feel that way, then we will live that out. So that means we will kind of go through life doing our own thing, we'll live our own life, we'll choose what we want to do, and we will give little to no consideration about what Jesus wants for us. We'll determine in our own life what's right or what's wrong, and it could even, it could even change based on the situation or the circumstance, and we don't really have any interest in what Jesus says about that and what he believes is right or wrong. We may come to church, we may go to Rush, we may do things like that. We may even sing some songs like what we just sang about, but not because there's any kind of inner desire to learn and understand more about who God is. That's not the the mindset that we're coming into this with. And there may even be moments and situations where kind of life falls apart, you know, we get really desperate, and so we, we run to Jesus in those moments. But it's not necessarily because... We want what Jesus wants for us, or we're interested in learning more about God. It's more self-serving even in that situation. We want to know what God can do for us, what God can do to resolve whatever situation we find ourselves dealing with. And so maybe some of you tonight, you find yourself in that place. Maybe you, you see Jesus as irrelevant, maybe you, but you come every week. And I love the fact that you come. I love the fact that you're here. But part of my desire and prayer for you, that, that Jesus would bring you to a place where, where that changes for you, where you understand that Jesus is relevant, that he does have value to your life. Now, there may be some of us that are on the other end of the spectrum, right? If, if we see Jesus as the greatest of all time, if we see the value that Jesus has, if we believe that Jesus is worthy of every breath that we have in our lungs, then we'll live that way too. So we'll begin to care about his will in our lives. We'll seek him for wisdom and for answers to things that that are going on. It will change how we worship. It will change moments like what we just had, where either we're disconnected and more interested in what's going on around us, and all of a sudden, that begins to change. We're now we're locked into those lyrics, and we, we're, our heart's kind of, kind of drawn into those moments because we're beginning to see that that's who God is. 
We're showing up to, to reckless for different reasons. We're coming to rush for different reasons. Because there is a desire there to learn and understand more about who God is because we see who he is. And we understand that he is the greatest of all time. The one who is perfect in his character and in his plans and in his actions, like we talked about the first week. We will see a God who is, who in a lot of ways is personal, that knows everything about us and wants to get to know us more like what Tyler talked about two weeks ago. And the God who is patient with us, even those moments of failure and mistakes when we we fall short, like what Lindsay talked about last week. So the question is that that I think this whole series really ties to and, and is hopefully pushing you to the point where you have to answer this question for yourself. Do I believe that Jesus is the goat, is the greatest of all time, or that he's something much less than that? Do I believe, it's either one or the other, do I believe that Jesus is the greatest, or is he something much less than that? Now, for me, you want to know what what kind of brought me to the place where I saw Jesus as the greatest, as who he really is. For me, it really began to kind of take root as I saw how intimately and personally involved in the details of my life Jesus was, right? So my story is I grew up in church. Mom and dad were taking me to church, you know, since I was a a little kid. And so I heard about Jesus and I heard about the Bible and I heard the stories and I had head knowledge about who God was. And and there are a lot of you guys who, who fall in line with that as well. But all of a sudden, as I became, became a little bit older, I started seeing God intimately involved in details of my life. I saw God begin to answer personal prayer requests for me and my family. Prayer requests around finances and things like friendships. I saw that, that God was a personal God. That he wasn't distant and uninvolved, but that God knew everything about me and cared enough about the things that were going on that he wanted to step into those moments and situations and the things that I was dealing with. And that really, for me, was what changed everything. And, And that's continued to grow as I've gotten older, but one of the things that has changed or one of the other aspects about Jesus that has made me realize that he is the greatest is his power. His power in my life over sin and over darkness. His power and his ability over this broken world that you and I find ourselves living in every day. His power even to transform me into someone that I know I could never become on my own. And that's what we're going to look, about, look at tonight as we close up this series. So not only is Jesus, as the greatest, is he perfect? Not only is he personal, not only is he patient, but this last thing that we're looking at is that he's also powerful. He's powerful. Now, if any of us are going to crown the greatest of all time in any aspect, right, there, there better be something about about that person or individual that, that is powerful, right? There's got to be something. 
So they better have influence. They better be able to impress with their strength or their ability. For example, the, at the moment that I realized that Bruce Lee could punch a guy, do that with a six-inch punch, could send a guy flying across the room, I realized that he was the greatest martial artist of all time. Right? Now, if you nev- have never seen this, don't know who Bruce Lee is, watch this thing right here. Six inches away, watch this poor dude. Slow-mo, I don't know what that is, his shoe or something that goes flying across the room, sends him flying back 10 or 15 feet away from, with a six-inch punch. Like, how insane is that right there? So this is from, I don't know what, what year this is, 70s or, or whatever. This is a long time ago. But we're going to demonstrate that right now. So I want somebody to come up here. No, I'm just kidding. And I'm going to sucker punch you from six inches away, and you will not even feel it. But how crazy is that, that he could stand that close away and just literally punch a guy across the room? And there's so many different examples that we could use, but I think that the similarities of all those examples that we could use would be power. There's got to be power if we're going to crown somebody the greatest in whatever area. So if we're going to say that Jesus is going to be the greatest then Jesus better be powerful. There better be something that Jesus can do that shows that he's not only as he's powerful, but he's more powerful than anybody else or anything else. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to John chapter 1. And we're going to spend the next few minutes in uh, looking at just a couple of verses. And so John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is one of the closest friends and disciples that Jesus had in his time on the earth. All right, and so John, the book of John, is John's account of the things that Jesus did and his relationship with Jesus and what he saw. And so John starts his gospel much differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke have theirs. And so in John 1, starting in verse 1, here's how... John starts off this book. He says, In the beginning, the word or in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, I want you to really kind of focus in. In fact, go back to the first part of of that verse, because I want to talk about that first. So I want you to kind of really focus in and think about what this passage is saying about the power of Jesus. Because there's a whole lot that's found in just these few verses. So it starts off by saying that he existed before the beginning. So understand what John is saying here is that Jesus is timeless. Jesus, which is even hard for us, that one thing to to get our minds around, to even fathom. Everything that we know and experience is all based around time. There's a beginning and there's an end. And so for, for John to say that before the beginning Jesus existed means that Jesus is more powerful than time itself. Which that in and of itself means, hey, there's, there's power there. He's the winner. Right? So he is timeless, but it goes on. 
He was with God and he is God. He created everything. In fact, nothing was created without Jesus' help or without his influence. It goes on to say he gave life to everything and it is his light that shines in the darkness. And I love what it says at the end is that the darkness can do nothing about it. So these are all the things that John says in just these few verses about the power that Jesus has. And so no offense to Bruce Lee, but this is way more impressive than a six inch sucker punch or anything else that you can line up against Jesus. That he's timeless, that he is God himself, that he created everything, that he gives, offers life and light to everyone else. And so what I want give you guys the opportunity to do in, in small groups is, is to kind of go through some of those different things. And all those things are impressive. And so you guys can talk a little bit more about some of those other things. But what I want to really focus on for just a couple minutes is what he says specifically at the end. At the end of, of this passage, how John concludes verse 4 and 5. Because to me, what he says last is the most impressive. And it all comes down to two words. Life and light. Look at what it says in the second part of verse 4. It says, and his, meaning Jesus, Jesus' life brought light to everyone. This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, when you and I find ourselves living every single day in a world that's full of darkness, and I'm not talking about literal physical darkness with, you know, night outside. I'm talking about spiritual darkness, just evil, and all the different issues and all of the craziness that goes on on a day-to-day basis in this world that we live in. This catches my attention. What John says here about Jesus, about light and darkness catches my attention that Jesus is light and he overpowers the darkness. To me, the greatest display of power that Jesus could have, especially in light of the world that we live in, is this understanding or this statement that Jesus overpowers the darkness. So how does he actually go about doing that? How does Jesus overpower the darkness? To understand it, we have to go back and look at the beginning and the darkness of a tomb on a Sunday morning in Jerusalem. You think that this world is dark now? You think that there's a lot of craziness and just evil that goes on in the world today? That today pales into com- in comparison to how dark it was at that moment on that Sunday morning. Because what's happening here in the darkness of that tomb is that Jesus has died on the cross and he's been buried in the tomb and darkness and sin looks like it's, has the, it has the final say. So in that moment, darkness is standing in victory with pride and arrogance, standing up believing that it has won the battle. 
And understand that Sunday morning in that moment, or even Saturday night, at that point in the story, Jesus has died on the cross, right? He's been nailed to the cross, crucified, died, and then buried and put in a tomb, and the stone has been rolled in front of it. And it looks like darkness has won. So Jesus has taken the wrath of God for your sins and my sins. But at this moment in the story, he hasn't, he doesn't, hasn't shown the power to defeat it. So even though he's taken on the wrath and the punishment for our sins, he doesn't stand in victory and triumph over it. And so darkness, is standing, or, yeah, darkness and sin is standing at the entrance outside of that tomb and feeling like it's won the day. And not only does it have the victory then in that moment, but if that stayed true, then it would have the victory for now, for you and for me. And this verse that John is talking about, especially in verse 4 and 5 about Jesus overcoming the darkness, would just be this thought, but it wouldn't be reality. But then life and light began to shine through. All of a sudden, in the darkness of that tomb on that Sunday morning, Jesus' eyes opened from their dead state. And the darkness that moments before had stood with arrogance and pride and feeling triumphant now began to get really nervous. And in a matter of seconds, darkness went from full of pride and power to feeling humbled and powerless. Because as Jesus' eyes opened up, Jesus sat up in the tomb full of life and full of power. He rolled the stone back from the entrance of the tomb and he walked out of that tomb in victory and triumph over sin and over death. Now understand the power of what we're talking about here. I mean, you want power. You want to be impressed with some great display of power and authority. You can't get much better than somebody standing up and defeating death. You want, you want power, watch somebody rise back from the dead. What could you put up against Jesus that could compare to that? And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was put in that tomb, dead and lifeless, with darkness winning the day, And then a couple days later, he walked out of it in triumph over sin and over death. And now all of a sudden, because of his life and his light, he has overcome the darkness, both in that moment and forevermore. But it doesn't stop there. And if you're sitting there going, well, what does that have to do with my life today, 2,000 years later, Some guy rose from the dead. That's impressive. If that really happened, that's amazing. But how does that impact me today? What makes the story even more impressive is not only did Jesus defeat sin and death, but because Jesus defeated sin and death and the same power that defeated sin and death and darkness, Jesus now makes available to you and to me every single day. What relevance does this have to my life? Because that same display of power that opened the eyes of Jesus and allowed him to walk out in victory over sin and death has now been made available to you and to me every single day.
And so in a moment where you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, we go from an enemy of God to a son or a daughter of God. We go from being separated from God because of our sin to being forgiven from our sin. And not only forgiven from our sin, but freed from our sin. And so what ends up happening in that moment where we've trusted Jesus as Savior is that old life that was separated from God because of our sin, that has been buried in the ground. And it has been put to death. And Jesus has now raised us to new life. That old life is gone and we are now a new creation. We're someone who we've never been before. Full of freedom and life and victory over sin and death because of the power of Jesus. A couple verses that back that up, that speak into how incredible and amazing that is. Acts 26, 18. And this is Jesus talking, actually, as he's talking to Saul, who became Paul, who he's telling him about the mission that he's going to have. And he says, to open their eyes, meaning our eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who were set apart by faith in me. That's the transformation that takes place for any of us at the moment that we've trusted Jesus as our Savior. Romans 8 verse 2. And Paul says this, he says, Because you belong to him, meaning Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So in that moment, we've been set free from our sins. That old life has been buried. We've now been raised to new life. We are now a son or a daughter of God. God lives inside of us. We've been forgiven. And now sin and death, spiritual death, no longer have power and authority over us. But it gets better. Because the power of God is not meant to just be a one-time display. And here's the sad thing for so many of us. We've experienced the power of Jesus that's raised us to new life at the moment that we've trusted Jesus as Savior, and then we stop. We stop there, and we go, man, awesome, I'm going to heaven, I'm forgiven for my sins, and then we just continue to do our thing. We just continue to live our life, We even continue to to live in that sin that we were freed from in the first place, not really understanding what really is at stake day in and day out. And so we've been forgiven for our sins, and Jesus has raised us to new life, but man, we're still struggling in that pornography addiction. We've been raised to new life, and Jesus has set us free from our sins, but man, we are still angry at the drop of a hat with anyone and anything that happens that we don't like. And we've been set free from our sins. And God lives inside of us. But we're still tempted day in and day out. And we still go, go to those parties. And we still get drunk. And we still are, constantly feel like we're, we're pulled into all those other things that our friends are doing. We've been forgiven and set free. And God has, has brought us from death to life. 
And yet, man, we still backstab people at the moment that they hurt us or, do, or betray us. And Jesus is going, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not meant to just be a one-time act of, dis- of power. Because the same power that I use to raise you to new life, you now have every single day. And my desire for you is to continue day in and day out, transform you into who I want you to be through my power. My desire is for you at the moment of salvation to be at one place spiritually and to be forgiven and free, but you're in a different place six months from then. And then six years later, you're in a different place. And then 60 years later, you're in a different place. Why? Because day in and day out, my power is on display in your life. And I'm taking those rough edges of your life and I'm smoothing them out. And I'm making you into someone that you could never possibly become in your own strength. And my desire is to give you victory over that pornography addiction once and for all. And my desire is to give you victory over that anger issue that you have. And my desire is for you to be victorious over some of those things that you, you, those areas that you used to be led into. That all your friends were doing and all of a sudden you start finding yourself going, no, I've, I've got the power to overcome that. I don't need to go do that. And you begin to watch as you start treating people differently, more patiently like Jesus shows us like we talked about last week. And so all those areas and those struggles that God's desire is not for you to stay in that same place, but forgiven. God's desire is to bring you into a new creation day in and day out because of his power that is on display. That there is no area of your life that is beyond God's power and ability to transform. And as you begin to experience that in those areas of your life, and I experience that in the areas of my life, all of a sudden we watch God's power on display, not as a one-time act, but as something that God is constantly, consistently doing in making us more like him. And then all of a sudden, we believe that the same thing he's doing in us, he can do in anyone else. And we start viewing people as no one is beyond God's reach. And so we start thinking of those people at our school that were like, man, it would be an act of God's power if they ever, not only stepped foot in church, but if, ever, if God ever grabbed a hold of their heart. And then we start living and praying and believing that God's power could be on display in their life because he's transformed ours. Why do you think we're... We encourage you so much to bring your lost friends to Rush or to bring them here on a Wednesday night is because we believe, and hopefully you do too, that no one is beyond God's power and his ability to transform. And you look at that as another opportunity to watch God's power on display in their lives. So Jesus the creator of life and the defeater of death has the power to give life to everyone who needs it. The creator of life and the defeater of death has the power to give life 
to everyone who needs it. And the reality is, we all need it. We talked just a second ago about the, how, how Jesus is timeless. And we kind of think, and, and the verse alludes to how Jesus, before the beginning, Jesus was there. But the truth is, if Jesus is timeless, then after the end, Jesus is there. And I love the thought that, or the thought, the thought that Jesus, because he is timeless, stands at the end of time, beyond time, and he looks back at this moment where we sit here tonight, and he looks at us as victorious if you and I belong to him. So he stands at the end, and he knows everything about us, and he calls us victorious if we belong to him. And his desire is to continue to work in our lives and to transform us because of the power of who he is. And so that for us tonight should give us hope. Whatever it seems like you're holding on to and whatever areas of your life that you're looking and going, man, I just, God, I know you've forgiven me and I know you've set me free, but God, I just feel like I I constantly am running back to those areas of my life that you freed me from. And Jesus is standing at the end and he's looking now saying, I have called you victorious. Not only because, first and foremost, at the starting point, because you've put your faith and trust in me. But now day in and day out, you are who you are tonight and that's not who you're gonna be six months from now because I'm working. And some moments it may not feel like it. But if you will just lean into my power, if you will come running back to me, if you will trust me, I'm going to continue to finish the work that I've started in you. My power is going to be on display in your life. And so tonight, we have the opportunity to be filled with hope. And know that Jesus has offered us victory and the chance to live in freedom from sin and death. And quite honestly, Jesus, as the greatest of all time, is the only one that has the power to do that. And he proved it with the empty tomb. I want you guys just to take a moment as we close tonight and just bow your heads. Maybe for some of you, as we've been talking about it and singing about it, and maybe, maybe for the first time, you're beginning to understand what salvation is and your need for Jesus and the power that is made available to you. And maybe you sit here tonight and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. And the starting point for you in order to experience this new life that Jesus offers you is to reach out and accept the gift of salvation that he offers you. And basically what that means is that you admit your need for him and you understand that you couldn't earn it yourself, you couldn't be good enough, that no amount of coming to Reckless or singing all these great songs or reading your Bible, that in and of itself, none of those things are going to do it. Jesus has already paid the price and won the victory for you. And all he's asking you to do is to accept it to accept that forgiveness and accept that freedom. And so tonight, right where you sit, if you've never done that, you can ask Jesus to forgive you. 
Ask Jesus to free you from that life of sin, to take you from an enemy of God to a son or a daughter of God. Maybe for others of you, you've taken that first step. But like I said a few minutes ago, that's, that's where you've stayed. You've stayed at that one-time decision and you felt like that was all there was to it. And that's true in terms of your relationship with Jesus and your standing with God, but it's not true in terms of the work that God wants to continue to do in your life. And Jesus does not want to leave you where you are. Jesus loves you too much to leave you that way. And maybe there's an area of your life that you find yourself not wanting to hang on to, but not feeling like you've, you've got anything, any power to overcome it. And so maybe you just want to spend a minute just asking God's power to be on display in your life, to give you victory and triumph over those areas of sin. And the empty tomb has proved that Jesus has the power to do it. God, I thank you for these students who are in the room tonight. God, I I know that some students are in here and they don't give a rip what I'm saying. And God, there's no amount of words that I could say in my own power to, to convince them or anyone else. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be on power, in power, that you would put yourself on display, that you would demonstrate your ability to transform any heart and any life. And God, for students who are in the room tonight, who maybe are doubting or maybe have, like we said at the front end, just feeling like you have no relevance to their life, there's no value that you add, and they're just walking in the room because they get to get out of the house or get around their friends or whatever. Jesus, I pray that you would move in their heart and in their life. I pray that you would draw them into a relationship with you and help them to understand their need for you. God, I pray for students in the room tonight who understand their need for you. Maybe they've put their faith and trust in you as Savior, but there are those same habits and those same sins that seem to keep grabbing a hold of their life and keeping them enslaved. God, I pray that you would by your power and your ability to transform their life. That you would help them to experience the power that you freely offer them to become a new creation and to transform them them day in and day out. Jesus, if students have never trusted you as their savior, God, would you help them to understand their need for you and what the cross and the resurrection is all about. And may they trust you. God, thank you that you have given us an example of who you are through your perfection, through how personal you are, how patient you are, and through your power. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.